Welcome to the Inspired Wild Podcast. I am your host, Trevin Stoltzfus. I'm here in the office. It is the last day of 2019, and uh, I'm sitting here with Garrett Drack. Garrett, you've you've had a chance to hunt a little bit this year, haven't you? Yep, once the entire year. Yeah, once. So that tell, was it. tell me, uh, uh, how'd that go? Well, you got to go with the kids, didn't you? Go to Wisconsin with the kids, and then over Christmas, you got a little chance to get back to Wisconsin. Yep, same spot, totally different weather. Uh, the kids was a rifle hunt, <clears throat> and my own hunt was with archery, and that's the first time in well over a year I've able I've been able to actually pick up a bow. Most of my, well, all of my time is spent watching other people pick up the bow. So and did film you, that, so. I know you had a brand new Hoyt, did you hunt I with? Do. Did you hunt with? No, nope, you I didn't did. even have time to set that up. No, nope, my old uh, CRX. Oh, good lord! This is a long time ago. Thirty-two. I think it's a 2012, 2013 model. Way back then, and it still and works. It still works. Still works. Still hits the dot. Yep. Yep. I'm impressed. I like that bow. That's, that, that that's was a, a nice bow. setup. Yeah, was a good bow. But um, I is just that a have, seventy? You have that setup, yeah, seventy pounds. Seventy pounds. Yeah. But it just—I mean, you know, this time of year, it's hectic for us. Everyone's doing oh. the family thing, the Christmas thing, and that's all a uh, top priority. And to get a new bow set up this time of year would would take a lot. So I—I I think it's important people that listen to the podcast. You know, we share all our adventures and this and that but we also try and share a little bit about what happens behind the scenes and for us from the time we get back from our whitetail run we are and this year it was late this year it was really late, later yeah. than we've mm -hmm. ever gone before and through thanksgiving we ended up um we end up tr really trying to catch up on uh, videos film the short films we do stuff like that uh because we got show season coming up then we have we put put out a thank you booklet that we basically go through all the images of each partner and pick out our favorite images and then send them a, a nice laid out uh, printed booklet of kind of thanking them for their partnership for the year um and then of course on top of that we're sending them google drive folders with all the imagery um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's important. I, I wanted to just take it a sec now, uh, in between, uh, as I actually, I should probably start, uh, rendering this sequence out <laughs> so that when we're done talking, I actually can, uh, yeah, we're currently get, building get videos work. as we're podcasting right. and putting together Google drives for, for photos. And then we have media kits for next year yep. to get together and stuff. A lot of that is, is stuff we've done before. So it's just plug and play, pulling numbers and stuff like that. And, and, uh, you know, seeing our growth on social media, seeing the growth of those, uh, companies that we also manage because we have really increased our content. Um, if you look at what we do, uh, as a company, you can look at it a couple different ways. The old format was you get a sponsor you put their logo up on the screen during your uh, episodes or your films or whatever it is you're making and you use their product during the uh, the actual hunt the process the adventure and you get paid xyz and this is for only a tv show 
Right. Well, only, yeah, but the only thing that was going was a TV well, show. Yeah, in the in the in the yep. old school days, yeah, it was primarily television, um, and maybe a few little. Um, uh, if we did a film for Full Draw or something like Badlands, something like that. Um, but even in in films, we don't normally go heavy sponsor or heavy partner logo it up because it, it it breaks the, uh, right. the 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 flow of the film. And that was as recent as. What 2015? That was still kind of. I, the, I think the so. Main model? I think I think 2015 is when we really started seeing people say, "Where's your digital presence?" So the transformation we've seen has gone from. Okay, and which is funny because when we started this in 2008, I sat across from all of these uh, marketing managers and as even some CEOs of companies, and we were a uh, web webinar. Or web webisode. webisode. There we go. Yep. I, there's. I knew there was a, yep. a, a. You know, we were basically a web-based show, and I looked across from these people, and they're like, "That's just. I. You know, you need to be on television. This did this. They didn't call it digital at the time, but this format. I. You know, I just don't know that it's going to catch on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I. I literally made a commitment. I was not going to go to TV because I wanted the freedom that a uh, uh, an internet-based uh, films, programs, episodes, whatever you want to call, them, uh, gives you because of time and constraints. I don't, not a big commercial guy, because it breaks the flow. But we got, we really did get encouraged strongly. If we wanted to get to a X number of dollars, we needed to go to television. So in that transformation, we went to television. And we've done really well. Um, and, and then to see in starting in 2015, they wanted the digital presence, which we have done some stuff on YouTube. But for us, YouTube is not a very good venue because music yep. is such a pain in the butt. And we are... Every single upload oh, to YouTube gets yeah. flagged and it's a process. And it's a 30-day... Yep. You, yep. you have to um, petition... Uh, it has to go through this process in order for it to be on. And it. I just got tired of it. And what we mean by music is that we use copyrighted music, but we have rights to doing it. So well, we've got... But even at, back in the old days, we weren't using independent artists. We were using music we had bought. And even that was getting that flagged. Too. And I would buy this license for this music, and then two years later, a video we put on youtube i'm even still not necessarily all the time but pretty recently i got uh flagged for something we did in 2011 Hmm. i paid for that a long time ago and it's been up there a long time so (sighs) people asking what's your digital presence and with us kind of deciding having made the shift to more of a experiential music background something that moves us um, I, wouldn't you agree we edit on what we like we don't we don't follow a oh, for sure yeah a, a template there yeah. there's a lot of shows that do if you watch their shows their time codes everything and they're just dropping in play you know it's drag and drop and um we don't do that every episode or every film every show is different because we jump into it and the and the adventure dictates how it plays out right. and music is such a great uh, avenue conductor whatever you want to say to 
ramp up speed to lower speed to invoke an emotion to set into the tone. someone and while you can do that without music it's much more difficult i think to try to set emotions set the scene set the pace without using music and music just magnifies it that much more and it, it, i think for you for me for the other editors that makes a better story i think one of our the evolution of us as producers of content comes when we realize that how important audio is and a, a key component is audio natural audio ambient audio narrate and not narration but uh, the voice quality of somebody whispering you know that that's what you do hunting you whisper because you don't want to scare the animals right but if you can't hear that it it's one of the most frustrating things that i hear from people who don't who aren't in the culture who aren't in the uh industry if you will is why do you guys whisper after you shoot i hear that all the time why do you whisper after you shoot well we whisper after we shoot is because most likely there's two or three other guys that are going to be hunting that area so even though we may have shot this animal even if the animal's down you won't see us hoop and holler you won't see us jump around you won't see us get real loud because most likely someone else is coming back in that area the next day to hunt yeah we can't blow that out we can't blow that out i mean especially whitetail you might be hunting 400 acres you might be hunting 40 acres yep or a ridge where you're hunting elk and you shoot an elk out of a herd you don't want that herd to be three ridges over right you want them to stay in that area so um but we've learned that if you want to put your big boy pants on then you need to have good audio so we've taken those steps like you talked about you know putting our big boy pants on when it comes to audio editing and i start looking into a lot more how hollywood how cinema does audio and I was amazed by how much of their audio design happens after the fact, where the creak of a door, the shuffling of someone's you know feet across the wood floor, a dog barking in the background, almost none of that is done real time, which we do everything real time. We're you know in the sense of bringing reality to people, and people would pick up if we're doing a sound design where it's all manufactured audio after the fact. And so it's, it's actually interesting to me to watch how they recreate all these sounds after the fact where it's done in a studio and guys are using props and different materials to replicate what that sound should look like and that is called foley foley never heard that it's called foley you foleying or uh, actually i don't know maybe i made that up but the but foley is is the art of adding sound afterwards you can go on youtube uh for the listeners go on youtube and look at sound Foley, um, uh, I can even look yeah. at it real quick and because guys, guys because have, it does it shows it shows guys in a sound studio watching on the big screen the movie that has been edited and they're taking and they're uh, these these cup like things through a box of sand as the horse walks yep, right exactly that's how in Hollywood most of those sound events are created which we don't have that luxury of doing i mean it would be kind of interesting 
to see if we could replicate that. Um, that's not true to, to what we've been doing though, where it's all real time. It's, it's captured in the moment. We're not making things up after the fact, but it would be an interesting kind of experience to go through just to see what, how difficult that would be, what we could, what we could manage. Well, if you, and I just did a, 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 a search on YouTube, it's called, uh, I did Foley, F-O-L-E-Y sound effects. And they've got quite a few videos of the guys back in the studio doing exactly what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. So, uh, and we are going to get to gear. We are going to get to that. <laughs> um, I'm just, we're just kind of uh, free, free floating. I mean, ideally, this is a conversation we would be having in the office and you're uh, a, a bystander just listening in. So, uh, but I think from 2015, the digital presence, the, the, uh, I think our growth in the audio sound quality, yep. desiring to bring that up. Now we're using these cameras that are higher, uh, you know, high, uh, with the individual DSLRs and the interchangeable lenses, we now can get depth of field. We now can get uh, extended range. We So we're doing all this stuff. We're going to 4K. I mean, you know, there's all these technology advances that we are embracing as the budget allows and and then uh, here we are we add on to that uh, the the uh, the effort or the implementation slash equipment necessary to capture the audio to complement yeah. that yeah. and so here we are where's your digital presence where it's not on youtube it's so over 2015 what we found ourselves in was people looking more for content than the old school, hey, let me partner with you, let me sponsor you, that was the buzzword, let me sponsor you, and you put our logo on, you use our stuff, and it's, you know, Billy Bob gets up in a tree and a 180 inch whitetail walks by and he whacks it, and it's all the same. Well, we don't wanna do that, we we want nothing to do with that. Because to us, that's, I don't enjoy watching it. It It was great 20 years ago, but there's people doing the exact same thing. Yeah, graphics have changed, they, these people, and I'm not trying to knock anybody, but if you watch it, um, they they look. It, you can look at the actual action, and although it's higher res, it's uh, the colors better because cameras have come a long way. Um, at least the cameras we use in a hunting situation, um, the template's the same. The graphics might be better. The you know there might be some fancy, but the but the template's the same. So we wanted to break away from that back way back in the day, and then as we've grown, I think we've done a good job of of telling a story and allowing the story to drive it versus graphics versus gimmicks versus a storyline dropped into a preset mold. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to do that, but. Here we have, uh, you know, these marketing managers, CEOs looking across saying, hey, we need digital presence. What's your digital presence? How can you help us have more digital presence market share or presence in the social media, which is it has now blown up in, you know, 2015 on up Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So we found ourselves in a position where we became content creators and uh, it was a good shift. Um, we had companies desiring to partner not just with us to help show their products, 
but to capture in-field, real hunting situation photos that then they can use yep. in their yeah. Instagram, in their yeah. social media, in their marketing, their catalog, stuff like that. So that became a big push for us. Then as- that's, got, that's even got to the point where in some hunts that we've gone on, gone on um, like Kentucky Elk that you've gone on, we basically had a designated photographer on site as well as videographers. So guys, that I mean, that's how, how prominent pictures and photos have become in our industry now, is that it's worth our time and effort to put an individual photographer on there. And then you've got guys that are also responsible for capturing video. But I mean, that's that's where we're going. That's- exactly, and, and for us, what that did is talking to i'm trying to i'm forgive my pregnant pauses here i'm I'm trying to word this in a way that doesn't sound number one negative and number two uh realistic what that did is it forced people like us to diversify the end product that we came back from a hunt with where before we would take a couple hundred pictures now we're coming back with thousands of pictures in order to get the the real quality hundred uh, the edited final photos, um, which wasn't a bad thing because we all I think every one of us from when Dustin you know to you and Tanner and all these everybody likes to f- to take photos. I oh, think yeah. we like to take yeah. photos. Yeah. Um, it does become a editing nightmare because not only are you do you have all this raw footage that's now 4k and takes so much longer to render and you know it's the time it takes our product is such a higher quality but but unless you're paying what did we spec out that new mac tower it's 55,000 i think yeah 2019 in order to um in order to be able to work real time with the 4k and the 6k that's coming out now like we used to with hd remember hd we would put the hd in it would render on the timeline and we could work boom boom we're editing now you're having to go make proxy files you're having to enter re uh render previous in order to just start to uh to edit, to to, to, to yeah. pick the good stuff out. Everything scales up. Yeah. The price for media storage scales up, the mm-hmm. price for computers to run it, the price um, for, you know, for people to work with it, it all it's all scaling up. Right, right. right. Now. So, uh, uh, you know, I mean, that's just part of it. So now we find ourselves in a situation where we sit across and they go, well, uh, you know, we might have uh, three, four million households according to sportsman's channel watching our show and if you know in 2014 2013 maybe even 15 you said you know you have that kind of numbers people's eyes sparkle now they just glaze over they'd rather us say we have 300,000 in a digital platform over 3 million it's almost like they don't connect or don't believe uh, I say this tongue-in-cheek, of course, people understand that. I mean, I do believe that when Sportsman's Channel gives us numbers, they do have the research and the the, uh, the the rating system behind it to back it up. But when I then take those numbers and relay them to said potential partner, they go, hmm, yeah. So what are you doing digitally? Uh, and that 
has uh, created a an interesting uh, dilemma for us in that there is so much noise in the digital platform. And when I say there's so much noise, what I mean is there literally is so much content. You've got MOTV, which is the Sportsman's Channel version of their mm-hmm. uh, digital platform, uh, handheld. You know, you it's a subscription-based. I don't know what their numbers are. They're, they're not as good as I think they had wanted them to be. You have the uh, Amazon Prime, you have the YouTube, you have all of these, even just uh, web-based stuff like uh, some, on somebody's website, um, you have all this. But then the beautiful thing about that is you do have numbers to back that up versus television, the ratings, again, going back to the idea that perhaps they don't really believe them. I, I You know, so... With all the noise, how do you get seen? How do you let people know where you're at? Um, you have podcast platform like this where um, the podcast is standalone or in our situation, the podcast actually accompanies. Yeah, complements what we do. What we're doing. On a bunch of different on levels. On a bunch of different yeah, levels, right. And, and, sure. and my whole idea is when I listen to podcasts, I'm usually driving. And I'm listening to podcasts because it's an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, that's what I wanted this to be. Not only would it give you the opportunity to watch one of our episodes or watch one of the films, you could go back then and find the podcast that accompanies that and say, oh, okay, here's behind the scenes. Here's what happened. Here's as it happened. Because we're literally, we haven't even edited the show. We're still on the hunt. And in the evenings or, you know, after it's done, we're rehashing, we're retelling that adventure. So there's going to be stuff that happens that doesn't make the final show because you only have, what, 22 minutes. Sure. So um, so all of this digital um, space, uh, which is the new, bu- you know, the new buzzword, mm-hmm. this digital space, um, we are finding that we're providing content. We're providing uh, both video and photos and then we're also um, merging in and we've got some big stuff uh, as far as our digital uh, content coming out on you know some other platforms like an Amazon Prime and, and, and you know we're mm-hmm. starting to drip some of the re-edited stuff we've gone back through re-edited shows um, in order to give them a cleaner uh, less uh, sponsory feel is that a word? Uh, you know what I mean. Yep. Yeah. So, so we, you know, which gives us the freedom to, to, you know, to show some of the old content in a platform like Amazon Prime that is perfect. Now, it's a lot of work because we have to go and re-edit all that stuff. But, a lot of work. Yeah. And that's been <laughs> on your plate and you've had Maurice helping and you could, so that's another thing that we've been doing behind the scenes. That has nothing to do with what we're doing now. We're literally going back to all of that old content from season five on, which really was when we got into the higher end uh, digital right. filming platforms. Right. 
and and then re-editing those to put them on a different because footage is footage and you can tell that adventure a couple different ways mm -hmm. and we have because we have the shows that were on sportsman's channel and those are all fine and good and there's those are standalone but what we know now and what we've learned we can now go back and retell that story perhaps in a little different light um to give that cinematic uh less of the tv feel Oh, yeah, I agree. So yep. Um, yep. I'm excited sure. about that. So we'll encourage everybody out back outdoors on Amazon Prime. Yep. Um, give it a give it a give it a look. Give it a watch. Go back and see. You will literally see a transformation in seasons as we grew. Yep. But the yep. story's yep. always there. The adventure's always there. Um, the creativity increases you'll see shots uh, different videographers different film uh camera guys um but the story is there and you go from a guy who's a set guy um everything's locked down on a tripod no shake to a guy who's running gun a cameraman i mean and there's a different feel there you're using the same camera in a different aspect. And I just think is that, you know, I've all gone back and had some fun watching some of the old episodes. Right. It, it right. brings me right back to them. Yeah. Well, that's good that you can instantly recall what happened during that hunt. I mean, I think that's a tribute to how well it was filmed. Like you remember all those and that it's, it's a very good storyline to, to lay that all out. Why <laughs> I've watched, every episode of Outback Outdoors since season five in the last four months, just because this project has kind of forced that. And there's definitely an evolution there. Mm -hmm. I would totally agree with your point though, that the storyline drives the, is the backdrop of mm -hmm. every single episode that gets put out there. And whether the techniques change, the people in front of the camera change, the people behind the camera, the, the views, the scenery, the terrain, that all changes. That storyline-driven theme is definitely there throughout all of it. And I yeah. think that, at least for me, I think I can speak for you, Trev, and Tanner, and any of these other guys, going forward, that's always going to remain the same. It that's has never going to change. It has to. That's, that's what our passion is. That's where our creativity comes from. And we might tell that story in different ways, and we might try pushing the envelope in ways that we film it or photograph it but the underlying theme that there's a story here that's interesting that that can relate to other people that's out there and that people want to experience that that is still going to be primary focus you know i i i want to throw an idea out that you i mentioned before we started the podcast that i have an idea and i'd be interested to see what the listeners think my my idea is to go back and do a podcast um, with each show. So start in season five and watch it and do a podcast while you're watching it. Now, not necessarily does it have to match up. I'm, I'm not worried about that. But what I want to do is be able to go back and tell the story of that hunt the way I remember it while watching it so that I can pause it and go, okay, let me give you some backstory here. All right, so this is what happened. You know, I just wonder if um, it's kind of like what we're doing now since we've started doing 
our basic underlying storyline comes pulls is pulled right off of the podcast that was done in the camp yeah. or whatever with yeah. but this is afterwards almost a director's cut does that make sense i want to do that and i'm and i, I maybe do it just like with season five and i don't think it's very i need someone to be able to bounce ideas off of i think it would be good to have someone like you even if you weren't there so you could ask questions because for me, I'm going to look at it and I see it and this is how it is and this is how it goes and I could talk through it. But then if it if there's something that's glaringly missing, you could say, hey, so why did you do this? Because for me, I have all the knowledge of being on the hunt, especially if it was one of my hunts. Or I have the knowledge of seeing the edited footage during the editing process of the production of that show. So I know more information and we as humans, I think, uh, your brain sometimes tricks you and fills in information that is not there, but because you know the storyline, it's there. And it seems smooth, and the transition seems smooth of telling that story, but someone like you who wasn't there, you could say, wait a minute, now how did you get from here to there and then be able to explain right, it? Right, for sure. I think that would be, even from a, an educational and a technical you know, information aspect to go back through and say, well, what happened on the stock or why did you go to this point? And then to look back and say, oh, that was, that was the worst mistake I've ever made. But then to explain that and flesh wow. that out as an informational source of someone that maybe not, doesn't have all that experience. And, and I think it would be good. They, I, I want to put it in a format where people could listen to it driving as I do. Okay, so they're driving along and they're listening to this podcast. Then they get home, they turn on Amazon Prime, boom, they can watch that show. And it can all, they, anyway. So yeah, you, I just wanted to throw that out to you because I think it's it could be a, uh, anyway, I've got people texting me and stuff like this. is a busy day. All right, uh, let's move on to from our rambling to, uh, I want to do an overview and this is what people are probably waiting for. Overview of the gear we use today, the highs and the lows. Uh, the, the gear we use, excuse me. I want to do an overview of the gear that we use this season, perhaps new from last year. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's evaluate. It might be uh, camera equipment. It might be um, something that, you know, whatever. So what jumps out to you? Anything? Uh, yeah, because I just used it um, back in Wisconsin during my hunt, um, high of 22 degrees, sitting in a tree stand. Um, the things that I've been using are the two Kafaru Lost Park parka and Lost Park pants. Both, both are Lost Parkas, aren't Lost they? Abyss, yeah. Or are they Lost Park? Lost Park. Parka and, and Lost, Lost Park, Park pants, pants, which I got a yep. set too. Yep. And they're not like brand brand new i think they came out a year ago but they're kind of new to us um and these are synthetic insulated lightweight very warm clothing options and let me just jump in here and explain to people that are listening that garrett uh is is a little bit cold-blooded i don't know if that's the word uh, but you tend Not to a little bit okay very. so <laughs> it'll be september and it'll be 70 degrees and 40 degrees at night and 
normally we're you know using a pretty lightweight bag you will have a zero or a negative 20 degree yeah, bag that's what everyone and you will we will be in a light jacket you will have a heavy jacket on um unless we're moving so you, so yeah, that's how that's just how my internal temperature works right. i'll have two layers on more than everyone else around me for the most part right that's kind of how i operate uh, i was impressed with using this lost park system if that's what you want to call it from kafaru in the tree stand um normally it's at 20 degrees 22 degrees and trev you've been with me when it's been that cold before um we use the heater body suit mm-hmm. at that temperature and um i wanted to test this lost park system specifically um, over those last week bow hunting and it worked great. Um, so if, no, uh, it's loud. So how are you, you're yeah, in a tree so, stand. So explain how you're using it because basically it's, it's pants and a, uh, a, a jacket, uh, which is more of a pullover than it is a, a, a straight zip jacket, but it's a lightweight sleeping bag, synthetic material. So it's very warm. It's got that. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, but it's also very loud. So, how are you using it so it's not loud? I I did test it <laughs> to a, a little bit of failure this year. I wanted to try it without anything on the outside. Like, so I was in the tree stand. That Lost Park system was my outer layer, just because I was curious. Like, how loud is it? What can you get away with? Uh, were you, where were you when you did that? In Wisconsin. Okay. In the tree stand, and uh, it got dead quiet you know those days or Mm -hmm. those evenings when the wind absolutely stopped um snow had just we just had six inches of snow the front had moved out so it was dead quiet in there um in that situation i think it was probably too loud to to have whitetails up close to you a ways away you'd be fine but if you were going to have a whitetail come within 20 15 yards something like that when it's dead still a little bit of movement i think they would pick up on that now, in most cases, though. Let me stop you there. When you say a little bit of movement, are you talking about going to grab your rangefinder, yep. or yep. You're shifting, coming to dr- you're coming to full draw, to draw standing shift, up? You're shifting your feet, and your the you know your pants are the pant- material in your pants is rubbing together. Okay. Um, I don't believe they ever designed this system for that intended purpose. I can't believe it. I mean. The guys at Kafaro, Aaron Frank, and the designers down there, Whitetail Hunt enough. They know what they know what it's designed for and i don't think it's specifically designed for that but i want to test it for it um i think the best system would be to have a fleece over layer you know put the sika fanatic layer over the top of this kafaro system i think that would for cold cold weather like single digits teens something like that i think that would be the ideal system um but it's it, 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 uh, the fire system is great. The pants have full length zippers on it, so you can climb up into the tree stand. You can walk into the tree stand without the pants on. You get up there and you can put the pants on. It's pretty simple at that. Like, but that point. don't you have to put two pairs of pants on to keep them quiet? You would. Yep. Yeah, you would have so, to do that. Uh, that's that's my and I agree with you because I have been playing with the same system. I'm not as warm uh, or cold blooded as you, but I'm. My problem is I don't have much fat, just like you, and I get up in the tree and I'm warm. And then, especially where we're whitetail hunting, it's very humid and the cold seeps into your bones. And then I just sit and shiver. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I can't get myself warm. And so I tried uh, in Missouri this year, I tried the just the Fanatic, the sick Fanatic uh, pants. And they actually came out with a new Fanatic uh, jacket, the heavy, the heavy jacket for left-handers which you and I are both shoot bow left-hander. Um, my problem is it's too puffy. Now, here we are talking about a puffy jacket from Kafaru versus the Sitka, but the Sitka jacket, because of the way I anchor, um, I've tried numerous things, and I like my, my binos on my chest. Everything gets pushed up, and... Um, I, I, I feel like I can't, it's too puffy on my arm. It's, I just feel too puffy. Hmm. Although I was warm, I, I, I thought I was going to really be golden with just that fanatic bottom and top. And then I could wear an underlayer and I'm good to go in low temperatures. Didn't work. I found it didn't work for me. Now, Aaron, Aaron Ray and uh, Travis, they both love it, and that's what they that's what they use, and they have no problem with it. What I did, like you, I don't use the bottoms. I'm fine with the Fanatic bottoms. I have a heavier duty underlayer. Put that on top. Put the Fanatic pants on top, which is of course very quiet yep. and pretty warm. Right. I and then on the on the top of me, I put a, um, it's kind of like a, it's their lightweight hoodie. Then I put the Kafaru Lost Parka up top, and then there, uh, I put the shell, a Sika shell, which is, I can't remember the name of it, but it's got the Gore-Tex in it, but it's thin. And I put that on top, I got and it squeezes everything down. And what I and like, it's a quiet outer, it's a quiet layer. outer yeah. layer. I don't feel like I can't bend my arms. I don't feel like I'm the Michelin man, yet I still have the warmth of the. Kef- so it's a layering system with a mix of brands, if you will. Sure. That is where I found um, I'm the best. I'm still a proponent if it's cold or, or not necessarily temperature as much as wind. I am going to take that heater body suit which Mm -hmm. if you don't know what the heater body suit it's basically um it's real popular back in the early 2000s 2010 ish um and it's basically a sleeping bag that you crawl in it has a split up it so that you you can move your legs around and then you put straps around and there's no armholes you just put it over zip it all the way up and you can have 30 mile per hour wind you're fine yeah yep and so i'll carry that up there and if i get cold I'll get into that and I can immediately regulate my temperature again. And then if I need to shoot, all I have to do, the zipper's very quiet, is unzip it, shrug my shoulders, and because of the straps, it stays out of my way. I can grab my I've shot three different bucks Mm -hmm. with that on in cold temperatures. So I thought I could get away from that this year, trying these different things. But when it comes down, especially wind, when it's humid and and it's low temperatures, but then when the wind picks up over 10 miles an hour, I just take that. Because I find I'm much more accurate shooting when I don't, when I'm not bulky. And I'd rather be comfortable and accurate 
than the pain in the, and deal with the pain in the butt that it is hauling up a, basically a sleeping bag up in your tree with you. I just right. I just strap it onto my yep. my yep. you know twenty two mag and up the tree I go. And then when I'm done, I roll it back up and and toss it down the tree and pick it up on my way out. Mm-hmm. So I remember Dustin Etheridge, our uh, a producer in the past, was talking about being in Nebraska with Adam late season hunting. And he had a heater body suit on and it was single digits, I think is what he said it was. And he would like tuck his head inside the heater body suit and zip that zipper all the way up over this like head. And he would just sit in there and he'd be on his phone and then, you know, right. he'd be completely uh, I, isolated I from the outdoors. I bought two of those long time ago. I bought one that, that's a medium that fits me. And then I knew that everybody who was going to go with yep. me is probably bigger yep. than me. So I bought a large or XL or something, <clears throat> but it has worked out well because you're exactly right. And we did it in Missouri too. One time in Missouri, uh, Dustin was up in the tree with me and it was a weird s- setup because he ha- had this setup that really wasn't comfortable. But if he leaned out on the branch that was right next to he could literally almost lay down and he did the same thing. He put, zipped it up over his head. And then if something came, I just tapped him on the leg and he'd unzip. And he'd Peel the shell yeah. open. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. No, it's a good system. And it's quiet. Sure. Yep. yep. It's really quiet. So um, th- th- those are some of the systems that, that I think I would agree with you. That's something that uh, I don't do well when I'm cold. Um, I'll... Let's let's just be honest. We'll hunt harder, longer when when oh, we have sure. we regulate our temperature. Yeah, uh, I and, agree. And everybody talks about whitetail hunting just about you know you go and you sit, but what they forget is there's the mental aspect of putting in the hours, and the emotional uh, um, dilemma that the the typical quote unquote I just did air quotes um, Western hunter does when he goes to and starts hunting whitetail is that making that switch in his mind yeah um you know it's 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 talking with lane you know lane's pretty new to white hunting and his desire is about 10 15 minutes out getting up in the stand he wants to get down and walk around <clears throat> you can't do that you just can't do that because nope. you're usually hunting a buck that's within 600 yards of you probably or maybe even closer and you know he's there you just got to have that time where he his natural movement puts him within bow range right. of you yep so. i totally agree and it i think those that whole kafiru system and and the the layering system that we use with sika um you use a very similar system for glassing out west right the nebraska hunt that you go on when it's super cold in the morning you use the same system or if we're up on a ridge top um mule deer hunting or elk hunting it's the same way right right you, if you're comfortable you're going to stay behind that glass so much longer and that's where those systems shine there's a lot of similarities in the way western hunters and eastern hunters mentally emotionally um where you're in a situation out west where you're glassing for hours and hours at at a time the reason i say it's it's similar is you have to you have to find that animal in order to engage in that stock in Mm -hmm. order to have a shot Okay, now let's switch Eastern or Midwest whitetail hunters. You have to be in the stand. Okay, and although you don't know when the animal's coming through, you've seen trail cams or whatever, you have to put the time in. So there's both of those, although they're different, you still have to do that. 
And I know guys that don't like the glass because they don't have the patience for it. It's the same game. It's the exact same game. And sitting in a tree stand trying to be still, it's the same game as sitting, uh, although you might be able to get away with a little more talking and movement and when you're glassing because you're glassing miles you know literally you're looking over miles of country um it's that same patience though picking apart things in the tree stand you're sitting there still waiting for that animal to to walk into your shooting lane um and so it's uh, you gotta you gotta be comfortable speaking of glassing yep i was gonna pivot to that one also yeah what just real quick because i know you're you're gonna go to tripods and Mm -hmm. optics Mm -hmm. next with when, when it refers to glassing on your, let's say your Nebraska, your Nebraska, your Nebraska mule deer hunt. Um, this is for archery in middle of October. How many hours in the morning, on average, do you think that you're glassing, trying to locate deer before you make an approach, the first approach? Um, it matters if it's a high mountain, um, or if it's uh, something like Nebraska that's kind of broken yeah, uh, country. That's what I'm talking about. Just Nebraska. <clears throat> okay, Nebraska. What, I'd like say average, how many hours? probably in the morning two hours that would be two hours within that two hours you have a game plan okay um sometimes because of the broken country it's even shorter because they disappear and you're relocating and and and, and you're moving and to try and relocate where the, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so you, i i noticed that when i first went to nebraska with you guys i think in 2015 there's a lot of time behind a tripod and optics and um that was my one of my first times that i was really alerted to to using a tripod and trying to find them but like you said you're looking over miles of country and so whether you're using you know 18 power binoculars or you're using you know a, a 60 or 90x spotting scope um everything that i've seen whether it's you or dave or adam or lane or tanner Everything goes on a tripod when you're looking at country like that. You can take a 10 pound, like normally on my chest is a 10 by 40s. Um, I have a pair of Swarovskis that I like. Uh, they're the EL with the rangefinder, um, which is great. I, I find that because it, I find that I don't use the rangefinder feature as much because I have a range, a loophole rangefinder that I really trust, that I like, it's in half yards, and the Swarovski won't even, won't even register under 30, okay? It's a, it's primarily a rifle, rifle yeah. which it'll go out to 18, 19, I mean, I, I've never had to try and range something further than that, but it go, it'll go out there a ways. Okay, if I'm glassing, hand-holding, and I'm glassing a ridge line, the chances of finding a bedded buck handheld for me because I shake, because uh, uh, fatigue in my shoulders, whatever it might be, is I would say I probably have a 50 to 70% more better chance of finding that bedded buck if I just throw him on a, on a tripod. And in the past, we've used a tripod that clips on. This year, we had the opportunity to use... Um, a new bog pod came out with a new tripod mm-hmm. um they actually came out with a couple of them um 
the well the great divide the great divide is, is the lighter weight yeah, it's the lighter fiber. the carbon fiber lighter weight and then what was the one that we got in we're like there's no way we're carrying this but that was more of a shooting yeah long I think rate. that's their death grip yeah it's um, more for rifles then that yeah that's designed to actually be a platform to for, to shoot to off. clamp a rifle into yeah right. so so we got the great divide we were real excited about it yep. and we it's uh, uh i think a four sectioned tripod yep each leg has four different right sections so, so that yep. you can get up and i like to glass sitting primarily with the tripods over my torso so i'm very comfortable it has a platform that goes on the top called the the bog bino bbr so it's the bog bino rest and it's if you're looking at it it is basically a flat uh platform that has two indentions where the barrel of your binocular would go and then it has a strap that goes over the top so it's not something that you snap your bino into it's something that you strap Okay, notice the difference. Snap, strap. So, very similar. Uh, you strap it in. And so, I can take my tins, unclip them from my marsupial gear, throw them on, and I'm glassing. Um, on the flip side of that, it has the ability for a lot of different heights um, and different sizes of binos. So, this is more of a universal accessory to the Great Divide uh, in order to glass long, long periods of time. The problem, and, and this is going to be quite honest, the problem with this is this tripod in its current design, and I know this is the first year that we got it as far as um, beta testing, and we actually got some of the very first off the assembly line, they have some bugs to work out. You cannot mount a spotting scope on there and get it to be stable. It's not the tripod per se, but it's the actual head that you mount it on. They're going to have to do, and I've already talked to them about, they're already working on a a kind of uh, refining and redesigning that. But the idea is really good in the fact that you can snap your, um, it has a connector where you take the BBR off the, the, bog pod uh, bino rest off and you slide your spotting scope on but but in its current configuration it's really not very comfortable to glass with a spotting scope because of the mechanism again the head that holds it it's there's lots of big movements you can't make small minute movements it doesn't lock down very good a uh you know, a spotting scope is much heavier than binos. Right. So, yeah. so for the bino thing, I think it's great. Um, the other thing that I liked about it was the, the lightweight. It was pretty lightweight yeah. um, and easy to set up, quick to set up. Now, in all honesty, the things I didn't like about it, the legs, um, they, they just weren't very sturdy. 
flat truth is we went on one hunt and the, and they uh, uh, the mechanisms that locked the leg in place started to slip and we found we were trying to get uh, an allen wrench to tighten things down and and uh, they just they just aren't very sturdy i know they're working on that because i talked to the guys at at, at uh bog t- bog pod which is american outdoor brands <clears throat> and uh, they are working on dialing these in the idea on a scale of one to ten i give it an eight what do you what do you give oh it? yeah the the features that that they're going for the, the overall design is there right. super lightweight the flexibility and how you can set it up is is pretty <laughs> there's a lot of options there the legs uh, fold out a bunch of different uh, angles so you can get really low if you want you can extend the legs all the way out it's super stable um, you can lift it up and go pretty high i know adam uh, on his uh, colorado elk hunts or I'm sorry, Colorado mule deer hunts was glassing standing up with right. it and had no problem with that. Right. Um, so yeah, those, I think the issues that you pointed out, Trev, um, a couple of guys in our crew noticed the same thing. And, um, I mean, blogs working to fix that yeah. and improve and, on those. And I think if they do, they're going to have a good right now. Yeah. I just don't, I, I don't think it's, uh, we took it on, we, we had them start failing on us. And what I mean by fail is, uh, I consider it a fail when I have to make an adjustment on something that's only been on one hunt. And part of that is the fact that we did get some of the newest off the assembly line. And they're just, I mean, research and development, sometimes you're, you know, the first year it comes out, there's there's right, kinks that need right. to be worked out. And, and they don't know that till they get it out in the field. Because all of this, when we were sitting in the office, worked great. But the moment we got dirt, we, indu- we you know we we introduced a dirt dusty windy environment. We all these different Super things. Cold, yeah, yeah. So yeah, but it, I noticed you guys had no problem just folding them down in the smallest configuration possible. You just throw them right on the side of your backpack, right? And and distra- yeah, and, and even with that with yeah. the vinyl rest, which I use quite a bit personally. But I saw you and. Um, and Lane and Adam use that vinyl rest a ton. You just leave that attached mm-hmm. and you just go, you just fold it mm-hmm. down, you throw it in the side pocket. It almost goes like in the little Nalgene side pocket on your pack. Mm-hmm. And then the top and then strap, one strap around. goes around mm-hmm. it and you're off. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not all that heavy at all. So I think the overall features that the overall design that they're going for is going to be really, really good when they work out a couple of these smaller kinks. Yeah, I agree. And improve I those agree. out. Okay, I want to jump right into uh, a new set of binos I got to use, which I'm really excited about this year. Um, I got to use the Maven B5's uh, 18 power, and I was impressed. Um, again, these are definitely not handheld. Well, I say that. Did you notice how uh, Shelly Wampler on her Wyoming mule deer hunt, um, I don't know if you've seen that footage, she borrowed a set because I had my tens and she was hunting. She loved hand holding them. She must have a steady hand because I eighteens the eighteens yes. Hmm. So for me, I love them because they go in my pack. I pull them out. I throw them on the on the old uh, bog pod with the with the strap. Boom! I'm good and I can glass and glass and glass. Now, if I'm comparing those B fives, uh the Maven B5s to Swarovski, um, I'm immediately going to say that the clarity edge to edge was not as good, 
but you're also not dealing with the price points that's the same. Right. Yeah. Okay. So for for the Maven, for the price, man, they I was very very impressed. Um, they and they have a good. I'm a texture guy. They have a good feel to them. Um, there's uh, you pick up some binoculars and they feel. Maybe it's my own mental uh, mindset or whatever, but they feel cheap. They feel like, oh, there's just not much here. And these have a little bit of weight to them. The consistency, the texture, they feel like a quality product. And you guys use them a ton. And I, I, I don't know how many hours I spent looking through them. Yeah, just <laughs> the number of photos that I was going through over the hunts throughout this year hundreds of photos of you with those and i mean that you, you i think you use that a lot more than you use spotting scopes even like that i, I am primarily your... i am primarily this this last season i primarily went to just the 18th the only time i pulled my spotting scope out was when i had something i was trying to classify okay this is a a buck we want to go after or this is not if i couldn't tell it with the 18s then i'd pull my binos or my a spotting scope out so yeah i would say the 18s there was a point to where i quit carrying a spotting scope ask, you think you could get by say you're doing a, a high country mule deer hunt let's just take that as an example where you could get rid of the spotting scope replace it with 18s and then you'd have 10 by 40s in your bino harness is that a, a I, I, pretty good system yes I would say, I would say that's exactly what I would do because in a situation like that, weight is so important and you start throwing in an extra three or four, I don't know what, what yeah. they weigh. Yes, for sure. And it all goes on the same platform on a tripod. Right. You don't have to have a separate. Correct. Yeah. And that, that gives you that flexibility to, um, to just switch back and forth for me when i was using a tripod i mean a uh, a spotting scope this year we were basically going to high spots via a mode of transportation we weren't hiking into high spots so we'd go to a ridge and then we'd walk out that ridge two three four hundred yards set up for the evening or morning or whatever glassing <clears throat> and then but i'm not carrying it Miles and miles and miles. Right. So, yep. yeah. Yep. But if I was, I, I would have no problem saying, yep, that's what I'm doing. I mean, they're not light. Um, I don't know what they weigh. I, I don't know if I've, if I got a speck on, uh, on their weight, but they're, I mean, it, it's a 56 millimeter, um, the, the objective lens, uh, diameter. Oh, the weight, it's 45 ounces, you know, versus a, a regular, you know, let's say a bino that's a 10 power is going to be, um, what's a, what's a regular, it's going to be, you know, half of that, a little bit over half of that. So it is double what your bino harness or your bino, your 10 buys down on your chest mm -hmm. are, but um, probably not as much. My, my Swarovskis are m much heavier than the, the Maven 10 powers. Um, but uh, so I'm maybe a third more for the 18th um, than the Swarovskis. I've been so in terms of situations that you would use these high country mule deer, definitely. Would you, would you use these on like, say your Ibex hunt? Oh yes. Where you're glassing. I mean, that's at least a mile 
maybe more, but even when you're glassing close up and you're trying to look into shadows uh, around rock crevices and ledges like that, would something like this suffice? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the, and the good thing is you always have your tent um, on your chest. So in a situation where what I would find myself doing is on my quick scans, I'd throw my tent on there. And that allowed me to scan bigger country and pick up something quicker, a buck standing out in the middle of an opening, right? Guys should be able to pick that up. Mm-hmm. Even with being handheld, you would think you would be able to. And again, I'm, I do not trust my handheld um, spotting skills because I, do, I have a natural shake. And I always have since I was a kid. I just have a little bit of a shake in my hand. So unless I'm clamping onto my hat or putting my elbows on something, it's not the the smoothest. So for me, I'll just throw my 10 powers on, do my scan, boom, something interests me. It's so quick and easy to throw the 18s on because I'm not connected with a bolt or I'm not connected with a a screw that needs to detach. It's just a belt that comes over and holds it down. I just undo it, switch optics boom i'm back so quick so easy right i saw that for sure you guys are switching quite a bit would you take those 18s on like an elk hunt or do you not need that kind of magnification yeah on an elk could you put i could put them in my backpack i that's that's my thought anything that i'm taking that uh, where i'm going to be taking and needing to glass it all why not have them for me um you know yeah I, I would just throw them, I would have my tins on my chest, my, on the side of my backpack, I'd have the, you know, the great divide. And then in my backpack, I'd have the, yeah. the, the, the larger, the, cause I've had 15s in the past, which I really liked. Um, I used the Cabela Euros, which is, uh, Miopta, And I've really liked those in the past. Um, uh, very heavy. Those are very heavy. The mm-hmm. Miopta's were heavier than the Swarovski's. And I don't know if it's an older technology or whatever, but but they're also pretty quality. So I'd throw those, uh, you know, I'd throw these Maven B5s in there, and and, and I'd rock and roll. So nice. Um, One other tripod I want to touch on real yeah. quick, and we can move on to something else. Uh, we mentioned the Death Grip from Bogpod. Also, I, is this the first year they came out with it? It's the first year we've used it for sure. Um, yes. And I'll be honest, I don't have a ton of experience. I've kind of limited. Um, I took it with myself uh, and my son, Lewis, when we went back to Wisconsin to whitetail hunt. And then we used it a little bit on a a high country, like a four season mule deer hunt. But um, that's a a little bit heavier, not a little bit, quite a bit heavier tripod than the uh, Great Divide. And it's got a clamp system on it where you can put the stock of the gun right into this little um, clamp system and then you screw it down tight. And... Initially, I I was a little nervous about that. Just having your gun completely resting on a tripod five feet up in the air and all it's doing is clamping onto it. Um, But that clamps down really securely to the point where I can lift up the gun and the tripod will come with it and not move. So it's it's a very secure system, which is great for in a ground blind or in a hay bale blind, which Lewis and I were sitting in. Um, you can have that gun in the ready position and it's not leaning up against the side of the blind. It's not laying on the ground. It's always pointing in a safe direction, pointing where the deer are coming from, where we think they're going to come from. And it's ready to go. There's not, so there's a lot less movement. And it is adjustable enough where if 
he, if Lewis needed to shift his chair to track a deer as it's moving from left to right, or needs to change the elevation, it can be done pretty, pretty smoothly. So I was really impressed using that in the blind. I'll, I'll definitely continue to do that in the future. Um, we've used the, um, is that a Caldwell yeah. shooting chair? Yeah. We you, You've seen quite a few pictures come through that. Um, that's a chair that has a gun rest attached to it. Levi and Addison Ray in Missouri have used that quite a bit, which is fantastic. I think those kids would swear by that thing. I mean, that, that's an amazing piece of equipment. This death grip tripod replaces that in a sense is that it's much more mobile. You can fold it up, you can attach it to a backpack, it can go with you every single day, where that chair, you're kind of relegated to that specific You leave it spot. in the blind. Right. Um, qu quick question, though, on that, and I don't know if we have an answer to this, but the abuse that the Great Divide took, it's a very similar style, a design, I should say, mm -hmm. in the mechanisms that expand the legs and stuff like that. Do you see the same potential downfalls of the clamping system on the legs that we did that we found on the great divide everything on that death grip is scaled up so the clamps would be thicker and and heavier duty um, the tripod legs themselves are a bigger diameter and it seems like it's thicker walled um, it's it's heavier it's bigger volume but it seems like it's built a lot sturdier. I don't that, think we used it, though, under the same circumstances and the same not conditions. In the um, we used it a ton in the rain. It was raining the whole time. And and, um, it, and it did. you didn't see it sli start slipping no, at all? No. Okay. Um, when we used it in a four-season mule deer hunt, it was sunny up until the point that it wasn't, and it was snowing. Um, the one condition I don't think we've put it into is brutal cold like single digits or uh, you know negative temperatures and it does, hasn't seen the dust that the bog or i'm sorry the death or uh, getting all screwed up the great divide has seen right um those would be the two conditions we haven't had uh, in. sure sure um but i could travel with it i flew with it i just put it in a yeti panga in the bottom and then um flew with it out to wisconsin pulled it out in my parents field and set it up and that's how we zeroed in the rifle and I, I just like the idea that you can take it to the range to zero in a rifle or practice and then you can take it into the blind you can take it on a limited basis basis up in the mountains with you to do i mean hmm. I, I i like that and how does the uh, uh what is uh lewis shooting 243 uh, 6.5 okay so 6.5 when it when the recoil happens you're clamped to the stock how does I mean, the tripod will move. The whole tripod will move with it. It it doesn't. There's no sliding okay. or slipping in there. Okay. Um, and I think it helps a little bit with recoil. In sure, that. because you're adding mass. Yep, and okay. you're restricting it okay. coming okay. back. Um, but it, Lewis shot it. His cousin shot it a ton. I mean, we put. Yeah, you said you're you're uh, fifty, sixty rounds through, it, and they love shooting that gun yeah. on that system. And there's no kick. That's and nice. And they, they don't, they, they, they actually enjoy shooting the, the oh, rifle more. It. Yeah, we ran out of bullets. <laughs> Good for them. Good they for them. shoot anymore. So I, I think there's some huge upside to what Bogpod's doing in relation to some of their uh, more mobile, lighter yep. weight stuff. Yep. I do think yep. some kinks need to get worked out. I think we beat that dead horse. Um, so please check out what they've got coming out this year because I know there's going to be some improvements. 
Um, I want to jump to the Yeti boxes. The loadout boxes. I, I'm yeah. telling you what, that's one of my favorite. Now, this is coming not from a um, hunting perspective, but a production perspective. We've always had issues with uh, either dust, especially with the, uh, the Ranger, whatever. I mean, we've tried. We have a, a enough to where we have a windshield that comes on and off on our Ranger so that if it's dusty, we take it off because so that the wind blows all the way through. Yeah, otherwise dust compounds it, Otherwise everywhere. dust comes and yeah. literally it, 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 like the back eddy kind of <laughs> comes oh, exactly. right yeah. And um, so we've tried, uh, okay, let's put it in backpacks. Okay, let's put it in trash bags. We've, we've tried everything. The problem that comes with that is then you have bumps, bruises, jiggles, jolts, which can damage equipment. So the Yeti loadout boxes came and they sent us one and we literally fell in love with it. You open it up, you can take a couple of towels, wrap up your equipment, your cameras, like they're gonna run, so they're ready to rock and roll, put it in. The, the lid has zippers on the back, you can you slide yeah. in batteries. Oh, so you get all your equipment, lock it down, it's airtight, if you dropped it out, again, that's why we put towels in there, though, to, to cushion it. But if you dropped it out of the back of the Ranger, I would even, we haven't tried it. I mean, we're not going to try it, but I would say it would still protect our equipment. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's not breaking open, for right. sure. It's not coming out of there. And I think down the road, we'll probably get, um, they call them ICUs, that are like individual camera bag not camera bag, camera containment units that have places for lenses. You know, they're specific, specifically designed for camera use, and those will go right inside the loadout boxes, and that'll keep things more organized and, and a little bit more safe on but the they're, inside. But they're free of dust. Yep. And even with trash bags, yeah. we get back to the camp, yeah. and what are we doing? We're cleaning equipment because it's just dusty, not from using them hunting, but from the ride to and from or from the travel to and from. Um, we even found the way it's designed is it's perfect because you can take a ratchet strap, undo it from the ratchet, the, the, the long end, and, and, and there's places to go through on a four-wheeler. You just put it on the front, yep. and you just strap yep. it down, and off you go. Yep. And, and you, then, can, you and, can lock it, yeah. so you can just leave it on there, especially out in you know, the public land areas that we were at, um, so you don't have to worry about that. I th the only thing we didn't really do is, is fly with it. Um, but I would imagine that you could check the luggage. Just I, like I can't you normally see why would, you could. You, well, you can check a yeah. Yeti cooler. Why right. couldn't you check? A, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, so that's one of the th ones uh, pieces of gear that I fell in love with. That if you would ask me at the beginning of the year, I would have. It wouldn't have been on my radar. Um, now again, this is a little bit more towards the gear junkie, the production end, right? Than it is the hunting. But a, a hunter yeah. could use it just the same. If you just didn't want your backpack to get all dusty and you had a small day pack uh, or, or your optics. Yeah. Adam uh, Wells uses it a lot for trail cameras. He'll put all his trail cameras in there as oh, he's doing his idea. round and pick them all up. So that's all secure and it's in a waterproof area. Um, yeah. Anything electronics that uh. you need. Um, so uh, the thing that jumps in my mind um, I, I want to keep this moving because we've been going for over an hour and, and now we're really getting into the crux of, of yep. uh, uh, the highs and the lows. Um, 
first thing wasps uh i'm really really uh the the havilon hvs i i i i'm just a huge believer i'm just a huge believer uh i've gotten uh, maybe it's in my own mind but i feel like i have tested more and more and had so many more spin true I mean, just it's. I don't know if it's the precision of the way they're building them. I mean, I, I like the drones. I really like the drones, and I have had great success. Uh, I attribute the Havilon HVs is the drone on crack. Um, razor sharp, fly great. Again, we're not going to get into tuning why they fly great, but if you've done everything to get to it and you mm-hmm. put it on a spinner, you know, if they, what I found is if they spun then I'd go out and I could shoot them. And as long as they spun good on a spinner, they, they flew yeah. good out of my bow. I noticed most of the expandables, the jackknives, came out of your quiver, and your quiver was almost always full with Havilon. What I ended up doing is I had three Havilon and two jackknives. Okay. And I, I, that's how I hunted this year. Yeah. And, um, but so, so for me, that was uh, kind of the star that came out of, of the broadhead area with some of the new stuff they've come out with. Um, what else? Oh, I was thinking of boots. I was thinking of the new Mindles. I, I, uh, uh, we've in the past have used, when we were with Cabela's, we used Mindles as part of our uh, partnership with Cabela's, and I really liked them then. And uh, then, uh, then when that went away, when the with the Bass Pro buyout, we uh, we went back to using Kinetrex. I like the Kinetrex because I have such a thin foot, and they just fit well. Mm-hmm. I've tried Loa's, I've tried a, a lot of different brands, and Kinetrex fit me really well. Well, the Mindles did too. Then uh, when Mindle USA uh, with our good buddy Phil Francone. Um, they uh, opened up. Uh, we, I got the the Comfort Hunters, and I am telling you what, just those and the Vacuum Hunters. I I mean I I can't say enough good things about them. I'm not surprised. Mindel's been around longer than we've been a country. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy when Phil said. I know, that. isn't that? They have literally been making boots. And shoes. Based out of Germany. Uh Same family, longer than the United States has been the United States. Um, So it doesn't surprise me, um, and having had the experience with them in the past, but I'm very pleased with that. And I'm very pleased uh, because of the partnership we have with with Phil and Mindel and and everybody over there. Um, They're good guys. And I think I'm getting past all the glitz and glamour and and shiny objects to where i want to work with people that i like mm-hmm. people that i want to spend time in camp with i.e cj davis with montana decoy what a great nebraska hunt we had i mean so much fun regardless of how we did we just had a great time that as we move on in our evolution of who we are as a company i think you would agree with me it's just fun to have relationships with people we like yeah. Fred over at Wasp, John Lacourt over at Wasp. Um, all the, you know, these people that we have grown with, we have evolved with, we have uh, been able to input information. Hey, here's here's our thought. Here's what we think. Uh, you know, uh, 
Jason and Kyle at, at American Outdoor Brands with Bog Pod and Old Timers, mm-hmm. they're the same way. Good people, people that say, what do you guys think? And when we, when we give them our input, they listen. Um, those are companies who I want to work with. Yep, I agree. I, I think the pinnacle of that was the Utah deer hunt we went on this year, where the hunting... Yeah, the hunting not. was no. Let's not. <laughs> the hunting was, was atrocious. Not yeah, not that. But good. the camp, camp was Eric, so much Eric fun. Eric Whiting yeah. with yeah. Backbone Media. Although Eric's a friend, you know, outside of Backbone, he's just kind of one of the good right. friends. It's Quentin Smith. It's Justin and Shelley Wampler. Yeah. It's spending time with people like that. So, um, for me, the Mindel connection, if you will, um, was it's it's pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, that awesome. works well with having Phil around. He's yeah. a good guy. Yeah. Sure. Um, the other thing that I'll throw out there that may be a little different, we did a lot of our hunts. We were using a Teton, um, these Teton tents, which are great. Uh, they're pretty uh, pretty comfortable. I just I just go back to the the what we're using with the Teton. Um, cots, yep. the the cot yep. pads, yep. and then the Teton uh, sleeping bags. Um, a lot of you listeners probably at some junction juncture had uh, a, an uncle or a grandpa or something who had one of those old flannel lined canvas sleeping bags. Well, that's what these are. And they're I think z- minus twenty degree bags or are they zero? Deg- anyway, they're pretty warm, but they're so dang comfortable. Mm-hmm. I remember CJ because I brought one for him and we uh, with the cot and the cot pad and then all he could say is man this is the most comfortable sleep because it's big it's a big square sleeping bag it's not a mummy bag like we are in a backcountry where we're you're in a mummy bag trying to you know move around and you get all tangled up right um, so that that's pretty fun when you have the ability to have a base camp that's what I was just going to say if you can drive up to it in some capacity, either with a truck or with a ranger or something like that. Yeah, the, having those big roomy teepees, especially with all the gear that we have for hunting, plus all of the gear that we have for camera and production value, we need a little bit more space. And and, and, and it works really well. And to well. be quite honest, for those people listening that that uh, maybe play around with filming, you understand what it is to go on a backcountry hunt and keep your batteries. You know, we we use the Gold Zero chargers, but those are heavy. And with all the, you know, trying to charge batteries. So we take, we have a a trailer and we load the trailer up with the, with the Ranger and then the Ranger's loaded up with a a generator. I mean, we've got to have that in order to have a charging station. So when we get back to camp, people are downloading footage, you're charging batteries, you're getting everything ready for the next day. Having that set up still allows us to have a camp environment, nice campfire cooking you know cooking tent whatever yeah. mess hall whatever you want to call it but yet then off to the side and we have a generator runoff so it's not super noisy when we're doing our podcast around the campfire and stuff like that and you open the the trailer up which is now empty set up some tables boom we have a perfect kind of a mobile charging unit right, right. we can lock it up and we're gone if we're hunting public land um you know, all our expensive stuff is in there, and um, it's just, it's a good system. It's a good system. And we got to play around with a little content with Big Agnes, and that was, a, I've been a big fan of Big Agnes when it comes to the backcountry stuff. I didn't even realize they made bigger t- 
tents, and we got a chance to use a few right. of those this year right. too. Right. I was really impressed with the size and the lightweight. You know, that would be something. I think if you say, okay, you carry the tent, I'll carry some other stuff. You could take one of those bigger tents in the backcountry by dividing it out because now you can have three guys in there versus, um, and when I say three guys, I mean three guys with all their stuff. Yeah. You know, there's a three-man yeah. tent, but you're not going to get much else than a three-man, three men in a three-man tent. Well, this is a three-man tent or even maybe a four-man tent that for three men gives you plenty of room. Mm-hmm. Um if you if you started to break down the weight, I think it would be yeah. The one the one place that I would see those big Agnes tents not working well is if you would need a stove inside of it. And uh, to- then, I totally agree. Like uh, like our fourth season mule deer hunts or some of the, even the early season elk hunts if you're way up high, um, and then you know something like a kafaru sawtooth where you're able to mm-hmm. oh my gosh yeah with the stove oh yeah that's so yeah. nice no that's totally different that's a t- and that but that's a different type yep. of a hunt yep. too you just have to know what you're getting into yeah. and what you're going to do and yeah. it's been out a, accordingly it's been a good year it's been a good year it's it's interesting i uh this is i don't want to say it's my worst year ever it's actually i wouldn't say that but but if you look at the animals i put down i killed one animal with my bow and that was a mule deer in in Nebraska. Nebraska. And I didn't draw Wyoming, which normally I draw Wyoming. Yeah, that's almost, that's about as guaranteed. Yeah. At least multiple opportunities as any place else you're going to find. And I didn't, we didn't kill an elk uh, in, in Colorado, although we did have a chance Any to take chances. crispy yep. and um and then that last morning you and i got awful awful close right. we were right there um and it just didn't happen and then um and then in kentucky i didn't I even have a i didn't get to draw my bow um, the first time i drew my bow this year was in nebraska on that mule deer even though i killed a bull in kentucky i, I it was it we just went With into rifle, rifle yeah. because yeah. It, it just no big bulls had even shown up. I passed on a, I passed on more animals this year than I think I've ever passed on. Probably this season more than my, ever in my life. Yeah. Because I passed on uh, a bull in Kentucky with my bow. I passed on um, five or six bucks in Missouri because they just didn't have the age. And uh, and then then that that buck in Kansas ducked me. I mean, literally ducked me. And if you watch the footage and hold your finger where you want to shoot, I was right there. He just wasn't. And what do you do? Uh, it is that's you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna aim three inches below his brisket and shoot, hoping he's gonna be there when when the arrow gets there. But it's been a good year. And uh, what uh, any any other equipment that you can think of that impresses or even maybe even disappointed i think it's important that we're honest with right um i mean we could spend another two hours talking about camera gear maybe we'll save that for another podcast because we made some upgrades for that um as far as hunting gear goes i mean the one system we use a lot more than we have in the past um, is that goal zero for uh, whitetail hunting and that's kind of a weird setup that we've got, but we we use it quite a bit for charging cameras in the field. Um, I like that 
Yeah, I and like it, that system. And, and, and the, 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 what he's talking about is it's a little box. I don't remember what the name of it is, but it's it's the it's little. It's like their Goal Zero Yeti or something like yeah, that, or Sherpa the, or something It's like the that. little charging box that you can either plug in or yep. you can plug into yep. their yep. solar system. And it holds quite a bit more power than a just a regular charging yeah. I think it's six or eight times what our individual camera bed, which is huge. Right. Um, and we use that in the tree stand a lot, which is kind of weird. We've never done a whole lot of that before, but then we use it in the backcountry quite a bit as well. Yeah. Charging um, iPhones, charging, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, like for me, I, I ran my GoPro off it. Right. It worked great. And and it, it you just eliminate any of the battery changing. And with me, when I run my GoPro, I don't run it as a, primary it's a secondary that's kind of an angle on me mm-hmm. with whatever ground i'm hunting in the background so it's more of a pov point of view type camera which yeah. is what a gopro is and, and the other thought i had and to make this more relatable to the more more of a general hunter type application those goal zeros will power the head spin headlamps yes and i think where where my head is going with all this is um, instead of the old adage of having every battery operated device you have have the same battery, like have all double A's or have all triple A's, we're evolving to the point where all the battery systems we have are internal, like lithium ion rechargeable batteries. Your phone, your in reach, um, all of our camera gear that we have, and now the headlamp the head spin is a rechargeable battery. And that's another thing so, that, that we got for the first time this year. Uh, my buddy, Chris Greider, who is from Las Cruces, New Mexico, we didn't grow up together. He was a little younger than I was, but we got connected through my little sister. Um, and the next thing you know, I, uh, I heard about what they were doing, reached out to them, and they sent us a few, and we've been creating some content for them. Yeah. But it's, it's almost on the GoPro format, but it's a headlamp, meaning you can use it with different applications. It's got the ability to snap it onto a uh, a clamp that would go on your four wheeler. It it, it, it goes into a handle, so you could use it like a a headlamp. Yeah. It I mean like a, a flashlight. You can use it. Um, it has a magnet. You can just stick it to something metal, and it stays. There's a lot of really neat, and it's bright, and it has different levels of brightness yep. which will extend the battery um i'm excited to see because they're doing some he already let me know they're doing some upgrades coming out but the headspin if you haven't checked them out headspin outdoors check them out it is uh it's worth every penny because it takes the traditional headlamp to that next level and it becomes really really right. useful whether you're using it as a lamp in your tent or just as a headlamp. Yeah. The only thing, and this is coming, I think he's making this adjustment, is it doesn't have a red uh, LED or uh, a filter. And when we're getting in the tree stand early yeah, in the morning, it's just it's, white. It's, it's a white yeah, LED right yeah. now. But I think to have, especially in the backcountry, I, w- I would like to test this to have your phone, to have your inReach, to have your headlamp all run our rechargeable system. Now you're not bringing a bunch of different batteries with, you're bringing a battery pack like a Yeti or Dark Energy or something like that. 
and that is your recharging system, but it's all the same platform. Uh, and yet, not a yet, Yeti doesn't make a charging system, just so you Goal know, zero. Goal zero, Yeti. the Yeti yeah, charging, the external or the Sherpa packs. or something. Um, I have not been impressed with the Goal Zero smaller battery packs. Um, and I don't know if we got some bad ones or whatever, but the bigger, the Sherpa or whatever that bigger one has been money. Yeah. It's been money. Um, we need to get off. I got to go pick up my daughter, but I got one more thing I didn't even think about. We have u- utilized Onyx in ways this season that I I am a huge proponent of Onyx now. We have always utilized Onyx for this public-private land boundary. Um, now we find I, uti- I utilized Onyx in Whitetail five times more than I did when I was doing Western hunts. Um, from the all the features of how big is this food plot? Well, we'd just go in our Onyx and we'd literally yeah, use the shape out. tool. Yep. And it automatically calculates And we'd find out exactly. Yep. So as we're doing our killer food plots, well, this much seed goes for this much. Boom. We knew it identically. Uh, good example is Lane. Lane had never been to Kansas. I go through and I just drop him all my tree stand locations yeah. along with my entry points. Where do you park? The vehicle to walk in. All of this information I had that I'd been working on storing up. And you just share it through a text. Share it. Boom. And, and so he, he showed up. up He'd never been there. Yep. Yep. I found it in Iowa. When I went to hunt Iowa, Steve Noble, he just does the same thing. Boom, boom drops me all this stuff. I've never even been there. And I'm using it. Go to it. Here's where we park. I've never been there. Had no problem right. finding. And not just finding it, but accessing it correctly. Yep. And even, yeah, the tracks, you can, as you go in and out of a stand, you can save the track and then you can share that track with someone and it takes you right, right exactly to where you need to go. Adam, um, first weekend in Colorado mule deer hunting was glassing on a knob one morning and he had saved his track from where he had driven from the city. I think he was out of Eagle, Colorado. He had driven from Eagle. He had saved his entire track up the mountain road, all the turnoffs, and where he walked into the glassing point, saved that track, texted it to me. Later that night, I walked right to him. And we in the were dirt. two and a half hours, of two and a half mile walk from the trailhead, plus the whole mountain road. And you just, you share it and you follow it. So to go to a glassing knob or say you've got a kill site and you've got buddies coming in that are going to help you pack out, just share that track. If yeah. you have a little bit of salt, I mean, it's amazing where they're going with that thing right now. And and we utilized it in the summer this year like I'd never utilized it, which was an overview of um, topography. And that using that topography helped us set a few tree stands and even a couple new killer food plots because of just the versatility of, of the bird's eye view. How are the animals, what is the topography going to force the animals as far as their travel routes? And it worked out well. So so that's another reason. Um, and then, yeah, the versatility of the sharing features. Yeah. It's pretty that's cool. Pretty neat. It's pretty cool. So we're excited uh, to have been able to partner with Onyx in, in, in that regards. And, you know, you've you've heard us say good things. You've heard us say a little maybe negative, but but I think it's it's you know we want things to be better. Um, 
And so hopefully that's kind of a kind of an overview of of what uh, we did. Now, uh, before we go, I do want to mention one more thing, and it's uh, Killer Food Plot. And Killer Food Plot will be launching uh, their new product called Soil Defender. We used it for the first time this year, and I'm not going to go into it real in depth. You're going to we're actually doing a video on it, which will help organize uh, and explain. But uh, the Soil Defender is a uh, it's a liquid that you mix with water, and it's so versatile you can you can apply it before you seed. Before you even turn the ground, you can apply it after you turn the ground. You can apply it at any time during the process. Heck, you can even apply it and mix Roundup with it. Yeah, that's crazy. I remember Nick saying that. You have bacteria in the soil. You have bacteria in your stomach. When you take an antibiotic, it kills all the bacteria, the good and the bad. That can be a problem, okay? You're, we're not going to go into the biological stomach your stomach biome but in the soil it's the same way you have good bacteria and you have bad bacteria and what the soil defender does is it comes it seeps into the soil and it attacks the bad bacteria and increases the good bacteria and what that's going to do for you in situations is give you better growth but it's also going to sustain things longer what i mean by that is in a situation when you're planting a brassicas let's say after about three years, you probably should plant something else like a clover or something else. It's, it's kind of like rotating crops as a farmer does to get that soil back. Well, what, that, what the soil defender does is it allows you, you don't have to rotate that through. You can literally continue to plant something that works good in your hunting scheme at, for, your, for your food plots over longer periods of time because it does what it needs to to build the soil back up versus rotating. So where you would normally have a two or three or four years, and then you got to switch from your brassicas, which by now your deer are really keying on as a food source, and you're able to keep that longer. Um, The sustained growth. And then the new uh, We Plant a Retain, that stuff is crazy. That is crazy. And, and I'm not going to go into retain. You're going to have to go to Killer Food Plot yeah. and check out the retain. But it's basically the size of, it's a very, very like granule, a, like a- like a Sea a, salt. Yeah. Um, like a real, real big sea salt mm-hmm. and it, when it's dry. When it's dry. And you and you put that in and mix that into your soil. And it's a, it, it lasts for three years. And what it does is it, it absorbs water and swells to the size of a marble. Yeah holds the water and then lets the water off when the soil needs it even from the dew just it, say you've had a dry summer or whatever but there's dew in the mornings it will utilize that dew bring it into the soil and then dissipate it into the plant yeah. roots where it needs it or you get too much rain you'll drown out seed or you'll drown out plants well this will soak that up and allow that to hold and what we've seen in the past couple of years is it's feast or famine it's either drier than a popcorn fart or it's really wet and then after that really wet period we have these big long dry spells well now we and so we've had some issues with growth big bare spots in our food plot because the water had sat there well now that eliminates that and the cool thing is it lasts for three years yeah you you have to almost have it in your hands 
and and watch the transformation and right. hold it when it's full. Of, it's right. just it's yeah. And it's there's so cool many there's so many other, like yeah. It's, it's, there's so many other neat things because when it does transform and it and it and it grows, it also loosens the compaction yeah. of the soil yeah. and allows for more moisture to get down. Um, there's just so many things, and it's again lasts for three years, so that's pretty cool. That's it. so that's another. I mean, I think we could go on for hours on this, uh, but that this is kind of an overview uh, of of our 2019, where we're coming from, where we've been, what uh, stood out to us product-wise this year, and uh, I'm looking forward to 2020. It's going to be good. Be fun. Lots yeah. of new things to try out. Well, we will. Uh, um, We'll keep you posted. Uh, hopefully, there'll be some more supplemental. Uh, if we think of some other things that we didn't get, we'll we'll jump on here. Maybe we'll we'll geek out and do a a podcast in re, re, in reference to just camera gear for those of you who are wanting to film your own hunts and see what we do. Um, so be on the lookout for that. In the meantime, thanks for listening. And as always, want to encourage you go out and find what stirs your soul, what wild place stirs your soul, and embrace it. God bless, and we'll see you down the trail. <laughs>